1: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
2: Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, and with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And here's his epitaph, I believe. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were about added that day about... 3,000 souls. I can
0: see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past, you've broken into all the fear of the lies. We're singing the truth that nothing is impossible with you. Oh, nothing is impossible.
1: Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby. Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so glad that you've chosen to spend this time with us today on the program. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's edition of Grace to Live, Pastor Keith begins a new teaching series entitled Impact, Using Your Time, Talent, and Treasure Wisely. So if you have your Bibles... Please turn with us today to the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 17. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
2: Today's message is entitled Impact. It's about time. Our text is uh, Acts 17, 1 through 9. This is part of a larger series, as I talked about, a series of four messages. And it's a series really about us as a church family making an impact for the kingdom of God. And today we want to talk about making an impact through the use of your time. Uh, Spoiler alert, there'll be some key themes to look out for. One of them is making an impact for the church here, you know, and this community. And the other is going to be, you know, it's about time. It really does come down to time, right? And speaking of an impact, you know, how how can so few people do so much in a community like San Jose and Northern California and a place that isn't particularly, uh, shall we say, receptive to the gospel, particularly the way that we preach the word here. Well, with this in mind, I'd like to call your attention to the American Revolution. Kind of shifting gears here. On October 19, 1781, General Cornwallis surrendered 7,087 officers and men, 900 seamen, 144 cannons, 15 galleys, a frigate, and 30 transport ships effectively ending the American Revolution. The British basically lost. The Treaty of Paris was signed two years later. And as the British and Hessian troops think Germans before there was a Germany. Germany is a country This is free, no extra charge. Didn't exist until 1871, right? Otto von Bismarck, but I digress. But basically, British and German troops, as they marched out to surrender, uh, the band played the song The World Turned Upside Down because it had basically 13 colonies took on the superpower of that day that controlled most of the world and they defeated the world's largest army turning the world upside down and ushering in the beginning of the American experiment after 8 long years of war now How could this ragtag group of rebels defeat the British Empire? Well, it took time. Basically, it took time and commitment against overwhelming odds. And they, those 13 colonies, made an impact that stays with us, of course, to this day. Now, speaking of the British, in World War II, a numerically inferior British Air Force took on a numerically superior German air force, the Luftwaffe, in something called the Battle of Britain, which was to lay the groundwork for the invasion of England by German troops that had swept across Europe and were now at the edge of the English Channel. And this beleaguered air force defeated the Germans. Speaking to Parliament, Prime Minister Winston Churchill said this Never have So much been owed by so many to so few. Why is that? The German Air Force had 2,550 planes committed to the struggle. The Royal Air Force had 750 planes. They were outgunned about three to one. Three times as many German planes as there were British. And the British, night after night, took to the air. To defeat this enemy. And it took time. This battle of Britain went on for a while. And what's this all about? Well, this is all about how smaller forces made an impact in the most direst of situations. Against overwhelming odds from the American Revolution to World War II. Impact. Impact. And the impact was they turned the world upside down. We know the, the implications of World War II, don't we? Now, speaking of impact, I'd be remiss in not pointing you to to a, a, a young thirty-something Jewish rabbi who never traveled more than two hundred and fifty miles from his own hometown with eleven or twelve followers, who is said to have turned the world upside down, despite the fact that he was killed in the flower of his youth, and is said to have resurrected. Conquerance sin, death and hell for us. He had no army, but because of him, things would never be the same. And the, and even though he was betrayed by one of those twelve, the eleven of those men turned the world upside down. Impact. How did they do it? It took time. Think about this. Think about how insignificant those people were. Think about how insignificant you, we might feel as a church here in a place like Northern California. Which brings us to our passage today, Acts 17, 1 through 9. What's required to make an impact? What does it take? And we're going to be talking about this. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes commitment. And in Acts 17, 1 through 9, we see how the world viewed the, the followers of Jesus Christ and how they should view us today if we commit ourselves To this cause. Acts 17, 1 through 9. From the Acts of the Apostles, this is like the first 50 years of church history, basically, the book of Acts is. And in Acts 17, 1 through 9, we read this. Now, when they, that's Paul and his associates, had passed through Amphipolis Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom. And on three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Watch this play out. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. That's where they were staying. And some of the brothers, and they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, these men, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. That was their charge, this ragtag assortment of men. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. You've got to love that statement. And I just want you to think of this description of Paul and his companions because it's prophetic. They certainly turned my world upside down. And if you're sitting here today as a Christian in this room, they turned your world upside down and they've been gone for a long, long time. So, who was Paul? Some call him the apostle to the Gentiles. Gentiles, what's a Gentile? That's a non-Jew. It's characteristically an unbelieving non-Jew, a pagan. Now, in Paul's custom, he always went to the Jews first, but he was the apostle sent to the Gentiles, in effect, by extension to you and me. What does it say about him and his team? These men turned the world upside down kind of funny. Not these men who are turning the world upside down. They'd already done the damage in the minds of these Jewish men. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. That is a descriptive statement of the disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. And that's quite an epitaph, isn't it? If I was Paul, that's what I want written on my tombstone. He turned the world upside down. What would your epitaph be? if you died right now? Would you leave a gaping hole in the kingdom of God if you died right now? You know, Hillside Church, what do we say? That we want to change this world, change this community one soul at a time with the message of Jesus Christ, playing offense, as it were, for the kingdom of God, starting in San Jose, maybe, and of course, radiating outward to the mission field. What I'd like to do today with today's text, it's a narrative. I'd like to use today's text to make observations from God's Word about how we can make an impact. So we're going to spend a lot of time in Acts 17. And we want to look at how an impact was made through the investment of time. Because it's about time. Making an impact is all about time. Which brings us to the topic of epitaphs. These men turned the world upside down. And so our first question is, what will your epitaphs say? What will your epitaphs say? They were nice people. You know what? That's not what most people think of Christians who are committed to biblical truth. Acts seventeen six b These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. These men turned the world upside down. And and the idea is there's a threat, and they'll do the same here. Now, reality: these men, Paul and his associates, were instruments in the Redeemer's hands. And apart from God, they were just common, everyday, flawed people. But as instruments in the Redeemer's hands, they 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 changed the course of human history. At minimum, they charted it. And so, who were these men? Who were these men who turned the world upside down? Well, Paul, of course, was once a Pharisee, the uh, the strictest of the Jewish sects. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, which means he was on the ruling council in Jerusalem. We know he participated in the death of Stephen. He was a persecutor of the church. He was a man who was going places. Some would have called him a big man on campus, a BMOC. Until, of course... He encountered Christ on the Damascus Road, and that changed everything. What happened? What became of Paul? He lost it all at his conversion. And the Jewish mind, from the Jewish perspective, or the secular perspective today, maybe looking at some Christians, people come to Christ, uh, he crashed and burned. He forfeited a future, a bright future, for a 30-something man in Jewish culture. He became influenced less. You know, we look to influencers today. Uh, Paul went from being an influencer to nothing from the Jewish perspective. He was an outcast, washed out in the eyes of Jewish culture. And, and, and walking into these cities like Thessalonica or Ephesus or Corinth or wherever he went, from the Greco Roman mindset, he was a nobody. He was a nobody. And, and they say, you know a man by his enemies and by the company he keeps. And Paul's entourage were nobodies, okay? Who would follow them? Nobody. They were just tagging along. Do you know? Uh, Paul wasn't a great orator. We know that from Second Corinthians. You know, he's not very impressive in person. And he was being followed by not very impressive people. But what did their enemies say about them? We know know about the company he kept. But what did their enemies say about these nobodies? These men have turned the world upside down. How? They did it the wrong way. They violated all the cultural taboos pretty much. You, You convince people to go from one religion to another. That doesn't play well in a world... In the Roman world, where they say, you know, Caesar is Lord, and they have this pantheon of gods, and the Greeks were no better. They got people to change alliances, to change cultures for the sake of what they p- perceived as a dead man. Uh, they they made an impact. And, and many of their converts. Lost everything and became nobodies. Following this man and his dead Messiah. This has been. And his associates were no better. You even think of, you have have Paul as an apostle to the Gentiles. And Peter as an apostle to the Jews. Who was Peter? And he's not here in this situation in Acts 17. Peter was a business owner who gave up his business. He'd been a fisherman. Fishermen in those days in Jewish culture were doing okay. He left his nets to become a follower of this Jesus, this Messiah. And he would follow him as the leader of his disciples only to blow it and wash out in gigantic proportion, at least from the human perspective. Peter, he betrayed his calling. He abandoned Christ when Jesus needed him most, he denied him three times publicly, cursing one time. And yet, he was restored by Jesus himself, the resurrected Christ. But how in the world do you come back from such a colossal failure? How do you do that? What would, what would Peter be remembered for in the end? Well, that takes us to Acts chapter 2 verses 37 to 41. And we find here, I believe, is Peter's epitaph. And what's happened is they have received the Holy Spirit. They're out preaching the word of God. A crowd forms around them. The disciples, they're proclaiming the word of God in many different languages. And people of many different languages and nationalities are stopping and listening. And then Peter steps up this coward who had betrayed christ before the crowd that once said crucify him and he preaches this powerful sermon and he calls them out for killing the messiah and he proves to them that jesus is the messiah and picking up in verse 37 we read this now when they heard this they were cut to the heart the new american standard says cut to the quick i like that better but and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, these men were washouts themselves, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Every one whom the Lord our God, calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And here's his epitaph, I believe. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were about, added that day, about 3,000 souls Did you catch that last verse? So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. There is an epitaph. Peter had blown it, but God did great things through him. Maybe you've blown it. I don't know where you stand today in your Christian walk, in your allegiance to Christ, in your witness in the workplace. Maybe you've blown it, but maybe it's time for a comeback. If you'll take the time, if you'll make the commitment. In the eyes of some, Peter and his disciples would have been washed out or washed up because they fled when Christ was arrested. But God, but God, one of my favorite prepositional phrases, but God, you'll find that in Ephesians 2, but God who is rich in mercy. In God's economy, know this, there are no people who are washed out or washed up. I don't care how old you are, how young you are, or what mistakes you've made. God certainly opposes the proud. He exalts the humble. And, you know, when, he, when he's humbled you, when he's broken you sometimes, he can work with you. God doesn't wash people out. He redeems them, and they do great things through him. And I doubt that anyone here has blown it like Peter or Paul. And the question is, will you let God... Take you where he wants to take you and do with you what he wants to do with you. Will you give him your time? Will you give him the commitment? And will you let God write a glorious epitaph or ending to your life? What would your epitaph say? She turned the world upside down. Those who received his word were baptized and saved What he wants, what he needs from you is your time. And if you give him that, he'll cause you to make an impact against all odds. What will it take? It will take time. Before we shift more to making an impact with your time, I want to just uh, encourage you right now by way of application to be rethinking your life, your priorities, your commitments. Do you want to make an impact for the kingdom of God? Do you want to make an impact in this church, through this church? Then you need to determine to reprioritize, to reorder your life accordingly. To use a sports analogy so that you can leave it all on the field when you go. To present your life, as it says in Romans, as a living sacrifice. Present your life, what's left of it as a living sacrifice. I mean, look at, uh, there, you know, as we know, we went through first and second. Timothy Timothy was timid, but, right, he gave it all. You know, a 75-year-old Abraham, good as dead, we've talked about that before, and that's when he started his ministry. Oh, and let's not forget, speaking of colossal washouts, Moses, a prince of Egypt, positioned to do great things for his people, Israel, instead took the law into his own hands, murdered a guy, and had to flee at age 40. At age 40. And then for the next 40 years, doing that which was abominable to Egyptians, and he was raised as an Egyptian, he was a shepherd. And then at 80, God took that lowly shepherd, Moses, and made him a deliverer. So, I want you to determine to make yourself available, to be used by God, to be part of this ministry here as we try to, in our own small way, turn the world around us upside down with the message of Jesus Christ. I want you to determine, I want you to commit yourself to making an impact with the time that you have left, no matter what you've done in the past, no matter how badly you've blown it. I'm going to read you a text that many people miss, okay? And it's really Acts 17 too. And Paul went in as was his custom. And on three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. He went into the synagogue. And for three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. What does it take to make an impact, to make a real difference? It's right there in the text, hiding in plain sight.